This is a crowd podcast. Stop, don't go any further, Tom. Katie, we've got actual real social media. You can follow us at Spread That Fire on Instagram and Twitter. We'll wait for you, and we're here for you. Harry Truman, Dara Steve, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studer Baker, Television, North Korea, North Korea, there's no getting out of North Korea. Got to do this, Katie. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of We Didn't Start the Fire, the podcast that explores post-war history and the reasons why the world is like it is today. All done through the lyrics of the number one smash hit from the legend that is Billy Joel. I'm Katie Puckrick. I'm Tom Fornice. Tom, are we ready for the next part of our never-ending story? Always, Katie. Always. So, today is the first of not one, not two, but three episodes on the country that is Korea and the war that seized it up and screwed it up. Today, the first episode of that trio is North Korea. Yeah, so Billy seems very keen on Korea, Katie, doesn't he? So we've made a sort of arbitrary split around his three mentions. So today's North Korea. We're going to talk about what led to the war. We're going to talk about what happened after the Korean War, what Korea is like today, what it's like to live in. I mean, North Korea Korea is the hermit kingdom, so not very many people know about it. Unless they're in North Korea, they know a lot about it, maybe too much. There's so many crazy facts, Katie, as well, aren't there, about North Korea? We like to do a little bit of research before we start this show. What strange things have tickled your fancy? Well, it's hard to separate fact from fiction, but um, one of the things I heard was that um, when North Korea was part of the World Cup, um, I guess they participated in the World Cup, did their bit, came home, but um, they lied to the rest of the citizens that they actually won the World Cup. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I like that story. And then I like the other uh, in, the other tidbit I read, which is that there are like 28 state-sanctioned haircuts for men and women that you can't diverge from. 28 seems quite a decent number. Like, I thought you were going to say three. No. I mean, I think it's uh, something like 16 for women and 12 for men, something like that. Does that equal 28? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I wonder how much variety is, is in there as well, whether you're allowed to have, you know, a flowing mullet if you want it. But I don't know, maybe it's all about slightly degrees of millimetres on the, what we might call the Kim Jong-un flat top. Uh, no, I think only he, only Dear Leader is allowed that haircut. Um, but from what I saw, I did see the chart and it looked like it was variations on the princess dye for oh, women. Really? Yeah. And then just kind of a standard um, 50s Hong Kong film star look. For, mm. for the rest of the people. I mean, we're speculating slightly here, Katie, aren't we? Because we know a little <laughs> bit about this topic. We don't know enough, which I, is why... I know nothing. I know nothing on it, clearly. I'm just talking, you know, horse pucky. <laughs> well, this is why, Katie, we always have a guest on this show who can fill us in, tell us everything we want to know about this topic. So we are joined today by Dr. So Jin Lim, Senior Lecturer at the University of Central Lancashire, course leader in the MA on North Korean studies, born and raised in South Korea, and then moving to the northwest of England. Sojin, thanks for coming along. Hello, hi. Thank you for taking me here today. It's really good to have both of you as well. Oh, I feel so welcomed. We're going to get into a lot of serious stuff, aren't we, Katie, as well. But I think we do need to know about some of these strange things we've talked about. The haircuts situation, first of all, Sojin. Can you help us out here? 
Yeah, the haircut situation. Uh, we can't uh, talk about haircut without Kim Jong's own hairstyle. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's so distinctive. It is. Um, yeah, indeed, they have uh, these uh, styles. Uh, Well, sanctioned by the government, but uh, nowadays, based on the uh, marketization uh, in North Korea, um, people became more interested in new things like having makeups, new hairstyles, uh, new clothes, fashion. So they their fashion industry has been evolved uh, recently a little bit more than those uh, hairstyles. What happens to you if you try and rock a different haircut? Oh, basically, you will not be able to have any different haircuts in the uh, hair salon. Uh, they have these uh, photos of stars uh, behind of your wall, like a menu. So you can choose only from those menus and uh, you will not be able to have any different styles. Feels like, Katie, we should put, uh, we should get this diagram of haircuts and maybe put it on our social media feed. I think People it's a good idea. choose their own North Korean haircut. Um, I do want to know, Sojin, about um, Dear Leader's specific haircut because it's so extreme with that totally buzzed side cut and then the like floppy quiff business happening on the top of his head. What's behind that look? So he, uh, this uh, young uh, leader, so-called dear leader Kim Jong-un, um, tries to uh, look like his grandfather, Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea. It is because in North Korea, the image of this Kim family, so could we call it the cult of personality, that because he, when he became the leader of North Korea, he was quite young, still in his uh, early 30s. So he had to provide a good image uh, And even uh, not only the haircut, but the way how he wears his uh, clothes all uh, tries to a little bit look like his grandfather. So it's pretty smart, though, because psychologically what he's doing is he's sort of comforting the people that he has wisdom and authority beyond his years if he looks like grandpa. Yes, the, his grandfather in, in North Korea is like a god. It's like a god image. And uh, Kim Il-sung himself really uh, tried all sorts of Uh, good tactics to have this cult of personality. And when he died, the uh, North Korean uh, government even uh, mummified his body. And not only grandfather, but his own father, uh, Kim Jong-il's uh, body is mummified as well. So both bodies are kept uh, in Gumsu um, Mountain. Uh, and by doing that, uh, they call uh, them uh, eternal presidents. So they uh, make their father, grandfather as like a god, you know, they don't disappear, but uh, stay with us all the time. And that kind of image comes through to the current um, the leader in North Korea as well. So it's more than dynasty. It's more than um, just normal cult of personality. It's more than communist way of per cult of personality, but it's more like having this uh, monolithic um, ideological uh, system in the country as this like a god image. Can can you visit the mummies? Yeah, uh, especially when it's like the uh, um, anniversary day or uh, the birthdays and they make uh, official visits and it's featured throughout the TV. It seems like to me, Tom, that perhaps mummified leaders might be doing a better job <laughs> than some of the current leaders in our world. <laughs> we, I suppose we should go back to the start a bit here, shouldn't we, Sojin? So the start of the Kim dynasty, as we might call it, how does it all begin? Ah, the North Korea, the beginning of North Korea. Um, that was quite uh, sudden and unexpected. So in 1945, before the Second World War just finished, the U.S. bombed Hiroshima in Japan. 
And right after that, the Russia uh, announced a war against Japan around the area on the upper from the uh, North Korea's borderline. Uh, and by doing that, Russia troops uh, walked into the uh, North Korean border and came down on the Korea Peninsula because we uh, still had the existence of Japanese troops uh, in Korea Peninsula near to Manchuria. Then when the Second World War finished, then the U.S., found out that the existence of Russia in Korea Peninsula. And Korea Peninsula itself is geopolitically really strategic place, like a buffer zone in between these two ideological um, uh, big powers at that time. Of course, the U.S. was not happy with the fact that uh, Russia could occupy the whole peninsula. So U.S. Uh, quickly decided to come onto the land. So U.S. landed on Korea Peninsula. And both Russia and U.S., uh, they uh, decided to have so-called trusteeship for five years, which means they uh, tried to see and help the uh, Korean governments to uh, set up the new government after from this um, colonial uh, period by Japan. Then they just agreed to have this Korea Peninsula into two pieces equally. So in South Korea, the U.S. and the United Nations agreed to have the very first election for the president. And the candidate, uh, Seung Man Rhee, was the uh, uh, student uh, studying in the States uh, from South Korea. So he uh, was the candidate and then he became the president of South Korea at that time. But North Korea didn't agree uh, to have this election. And uh, Kim Il-sung, who used to be the uh, leader of this um, guerrillas against uh, Japanese colonialism in Manchuria, he became the leader of North Korea under Soviet uh, support. So that's how uh, we were divided. And ever since then, we still are living under this Cold War zone. And if I can continue the story a little bit further, after some years, like a couple of years, Kim Il-sung decided to invade South Korea because of course, for both sides, you know, it's just one Korea. It was one Korea. So Kim Il-sung wanted to have South Korea under communist regime. And South Korea, of course, was a becoming democratic uh, country. So in 1950, there was a war uh, and North Korea invaded South Korea. Then um, in 1953, the North Korea, China and uh, U.S. Uh, agreed upon to hold uh, they were and signed on the armistice agreement. And because it was armistice agreement, technically, both South and North Korea are still under war time. So that is a beautiful summation of our entire three episodes, probably. <laughs> um, and uh, that that definitely primes me for a question. I'm going to reel us right back to the dividing of the country, because that one really struck me. So I'm just trying to get my head around the idea of being a Korean in a country that has been one country for thousands of years, um, basically willy-nilly, a couple Americans come in and go, hey, let's look at a map on the wall. What's the middle of Korea? Oh, it's this line on the 38th parallel. And they just divide the country with no regard to the geography. You know, too bad if there's a farm there, a village, a road, a river, it doesn't matter. And I can't even imagine what it does to the people living there, Tom. I mean, you know, it's just psychologically what happens, so Jim, with uh, families who are divided. I think that really um, depends on the generation now. And within even my family, um, my uh, aunt's husband, my 
uncle-in-law, um, his family uh, used to be in North Korea, and after the war, they had to evacuate from the north side of the Korea, and now their family, uh, they don't know the entire family, how what happened to them. And for those kind of families, still, you know, they have their family uh, members in North Korea and missing them, and they want to know what happened. And they are really now aged. So for them, North Korea, South Korea are still one country, and they still have family members who they uh, miss. For my generation, I used to hear these kind of stories from my family members or from my uh, friends' family members. So I'm kind of in between. But my friends' daughters or sons, for them, North Korea is just another country. It's not the same country. The only parallel I can think of here, Katie, is Western East Germany and all the sort of psychic effects that had on German people of being split down the middle arbitrarily due to the Cold War. So Sojin, is there, in the same way as in Germany, you get all these ripples and resonances through popular culture of that split. Do you get the same thing in Korea? So um, before we used to compare uh, between Germany and uh, Korea Peninsula a lot, and still uh, many uh, tend to compare. And what we've observed was that, like, for example, political or economic systems were relatively easily uh, integrated, but the social integration has not been completely done yet after 30 years of unification in Germany. And when we see the situation between North Korean defectors and South Koreans in South Korea, the North Korean defectors in South Korea experience cultural differences they tend to say that they are being left behind or left out from South Korean society. Even though we share the same language and we used to have same history, but because of the 70 years of separation, the culture has been really different and some of the vocabularies we don't share anymore. And we apparently have a very different accent. So for example, the, um, the influx of information to North Korea nowadays now in North Korea, they have this smuggling uh, South Korean uh, songs, K-pop or South Korean dramas, films without any language barriers. And they now tend to try to follow South Korean accent. And the government recently now even announced that if you use South Korean accent, you will be punished. So it's different, same, but different. I'm interested in the whole deal behind Kim Il-sung because he was quite a compelling character. I mean, as you touched on when we were setting this whole thing up, he actually was a little bit of an expat. He was a, a maverick who was uh, fighting in the war against the Japanese in China. And then, as I understand it, he actually went to Soviet Union for a while. So by the time he came back to North Korea, he was kind of like a kind of an outsider with a thirst for power. And I'm just trying to get a sense of how, why did he think he was all that? Like, what gave him his particular oomph? <laughs> so uh, for, for him, uh, I, I believe that he had a very strong belief in his own ideological approach, uh, which uh, developed eventually uh, not like Stalin or Lenin style, not like Mao in China style, but he developed his own, which we now call Juchaism. Juche is a Korean, uh, which means self-reliance. And that has become like a very official word in English as well, because it doesn't exist in any other countries. And um, he had to build up his power within the country 
And because of that, there was endless purges uh, in North Korea at the beginning. He had to kill his enemies within the North Korea. And since the year 1945 and until 1967, for those uh, over a decade uh, period, he developed his ideology. He killed these enemies and he brought his uh, allies within the system. Then now he finally uh, announced these uh, 10 principles of a monolithic ideological uh, system and made all the people in North Korea remember it, all these 10 long principles. And that basically um, mentions him as like a God uh, feature. And he set up the surveillance system, which uh, uh, used to be like, you uh, can't mention what you uh, really think, but um, you have to mention what you learned from school, you learned from TV, you learned from your society. So you have to show the uh, loyalty to your great leader Kim Il-sung all the time. And by doing that, his cult of personality developed and having all these big statues like Stalin or Mao Zedong here and there and big pictures of him. And if you see his photos everywhere, he never looks at directly in front, but his face a little bit, uh, his eyes a little bit looking the other side that gives like a political image. It looks like a wise person. So he used all this psychological approach as well. In a way, it was really successful. So people who defected from that time still believe that uh, Kim Il-sung is like God, but his son, Kim Jong-il, ruined everything. So that's how it works uh, until today. I just have to interject that um, I might have to take a tip from... um Kim Il Sung and the the looking off, looking off into the distance and his <laughs> official selfies. portraits. I'm thinking that for my next headshots, that th- that might be a good approach because I like the idea of just being revered as a goddess, as a deity. Yeah, that might that might work out. It's funny, isn't it, Katie? What there's always when we hear about those tenants that Kim um, put in place, there's always ten of them. Like whether it's commandments or tenants, what if nine was all you needed or actually you needed 11 it always seems a little bit neat there's 10 well i think the 10 thing he is probably just coming in and saying hey you guys had a religion before i don't know what the religion was if it was buddhism or you know whatever the local religion was but he's obviously going here's the new improved version of it and it's very religion like but um let's just shift in a new god with a hazy dreamy faraway look in his eye (laughs) (laughs) and is he more influenced Sojin, is he more influenced by Stalin's version of communism or Mao's version of communism? Oh, yeah, yeah, good question. I want to know. So at the beginning, it was Stalin's because um, it was Russia who had the more power in this uh, geopolitical international relations uh, under this Cold War era. But um, in 1960s, when we had the Sino-Russia split and uh, Russia uh, began to be gradually away from North Korea. Russia uh, did not want to engage in any conflicts in the uh, in North Korea affairs. And um, China became more so-called friendly uh, uh, power to uh, North Korea. And if we see from when we had the Korea War, for example, even it was Russia who helped North Korea when it invaded South Korea. But then afterwards, China became the strong ally so the Chinese uh, influence became 
more and more in North Korea, and especially when China had a civil war and the Cultural Revolution, Kim Il-sung looked at it and also uh, imposed its own Cultural Revolution in North Korea. So at the beginning, yes, it was more Russia Stalin style, but now it became more a Chinese style in North Korea, and eventually it became North Korea's North Korea. And of course, I guess the big transition between Soviet Union and China authority was the fact that Stalin unexpectedly died. Died, yes. So so that kind of took him out of the equation, and then there was a vacuum to be filled. Yeah, also uh, because Russia was busy to uh, maintain its power in Europe's European side rather than uh, its part. So that was also another factor for this. And he's so powerful, Sojin, that... He was born in 1911, is that right? And then the North Korean calendar now begins in 1911. So as we're recording this podcast, Katie, and neither of us have maths as our strongest point, we're jibber-jabberers, <laughs> that, that makes it the year, what is it, 110 now? Yeah, what year are we in North Korean years? Oh, I haven't calculated it because... Uh, well, obviously, I, I didn't buy that that much because it's North Korean calendar. <laughs> and it, well, as a South Korean, I, I live in the two different calendars, you know, the solar calendar, lunar calendar. So for me, it's uh, already too much. But yes, as you said, in North Korea, they have their own calendar as well. I just think that's an amazing. If you're going to be a dictator, Katie, deciding to start time again when you were born is, is quite the play. I think it's actually very natural because really, don't all of us listeners feel like history started when we started? I mean, it's just really natural. He's just extrapolated it out to his his whole realm. Katie, I don't know about you, but I need a little breather. Should we have some ads? You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. I'm curious about uh, how North Korea rebuilt itself after the Korean War, because more bombs were dropped on Korea during that three-year war from 1950 to 53 than all of the wars that had happened before it. And that entire country was unutterably decimated. It was absolutely flattened. And to begin with, North Korea had the advantage and they were kind of building back better. And South Korea was somewhat lagging behind. But then there was a flip-flop. And South Korea, thanks to capitalism and probably some sort of corruption and American help, uh, zipped on ahead. And then North Korean redevelopment kind of stagnated. So how did that all work out? And how did North Korea kind of explain that to their people who were maybe not getting all of the, the home goods and good snacks? <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my area to talk about and that 
is of quite a long story I can talk about for more than a day about this economic development in North Korea. Um, if you see the geographically in Korea Peninsula, in North Korea, um, we have more uh, natural resources than South Korea. In South Korea, we barely have any natural resources, but in North Korea, we have a lot of mountain and mines for like coal and all these uh, sources. So, and also the Japan, uh, during the Japanese occupation, they um, uh, built up uh, so-called the good infrastructure like uh, trains or the uh, factories and relatively uh, North Korea could utilize those existing infrastructure from the beginning. Of course, uh, from the uh, bombing from the US, um, the facilities were uh, pretty much destroyed. But with the help of the uh, Soviet Union and its allies, the other European countries, they provided not only financial support, but also in-kind support we, along with the technical assistance, which means brought the uh, technicians or skilled people who can share and transfer their uh, uh, skills and techniques to North Koreans so that they could achieve um, quite fast uh, development at the beginning. But um, ever since this uh, Sino-Russia split in 1960s, Russian uh, aid uh, stopped and then China uh, provides support which is known as very small a portion was not if, uh, enough uh, for North Korea's further economic development. But what uh, Kim Il-sung did for this economic development, he made every single person in North Korea worked for the government. So he um, mobilized all this labor force from everywhere for the entire population. So he could make this economic development in place uh, at the beginning, but the North Korea began to see the stagnation uh, from 1980s. And when uh, it came into the 1990s, Kim Il-sung died and Kim Jong-il um, took up power. And unfortunately for Kim Jong-il, um, North Korea had to go through the floods, famine in late 1990s then this economic development uh, began to see the downturn. And ever since then, you know, they could not uh, quite overcome from the situation. And now Kim Jong-un is there and he tries to see the economic development, but under the sanctions and also recently uh, with the COVID-19 situation, it uh, looks like it's becoming even worse. But... Even though the regime itself survived from this and uh, tries to uh, continue its uh, socialist um, approach, there was a marketization in North Korea, which means the capitalist approach evolved. People had to survive by themselves. So this informal market evolved, so-called Changmadang. For example, the uh, bank in North Korea, the normal banking system could not work. Normally, you know, you go to bank and, you know, you uh, deposit your money and save and the bank can uh, lend the savings to the business uh, sector. But the North Korean um, monolithic banking system, which means they have only two banks in North Korea, they don't have commercial banks, but government bank. But this government bank could not play its role because there were no people who can come and save, uh, deposit the money. So the people from this Jangmadang, uh, from this uh, the gray market, who began to earn money, they began to work as the bank. We now call them as Tonju. Ton in Korean means money. Ju means owner. So the money uh, owners, they began to uh, lend money even for government, uh, for the business, and 
they began to have power in society. So as you see, you know, the people who have money means they have power. So this kind of a marketization and um, capitalist uh, approach from the bottom line began to evolve from this famine time in late 1990s. Another thing that piques my interest from North Korea is the very flowery language that we hear whenever there's official statements, threatening, assertive remarks from the North Korean leaders to leaders from the West. Um, Something comes to mind when Kim Jong-un was talking about Donald Trump in 2017. He said, uh, he is surely a rogue and a gangster, fond of playing with fire. I will surely and definitely tame the mentally deranged U.S. dotard (laughs) with fire. Uh, And also more recently, uh, Kim Jong-un's sister was criticizing the the American military drills in South Korea. And she was saying, we take this opportunity to warn the new U.S. administration trying hard to give off powder smell in this land. If it wants to sleep in peace, it had better refrain from causing a stink at its first step. So I guess my question is, is this a lost in translation situation? <laughs> is, this, is this just official language? It seems very courtly and medieval and Game of Thrones to me. Or is this actually how people speak to each other in North Korea very poetically? <laughs> so that is, yes, so, uh, the simple answer is that it's official uh, language they use. But uh, there is obviously a difference in between English in translation and in Korean. Um, in Korean, it sounds more aggressive. And in English, they uh, really um, not directly uh, translated, but um, uh, translated in in the culture of English, if I can uh, put it in that way. But in, in regular uh, daily lives, People uh, speak a little bit differently from this aggressive approach. But what is there is that people tend to speak in a way they are told to do. They are educated. But nowadays, uh, with this development of Jangmadang and marketization, I heard that there's so-called uh, the double talk development in North Korean society. So in front of others... They uh, tend to talk like, oh, the great leader or the dear leader or the great successor. But behind of the scene, they now uh, began to criticize the government, began to criticize the situation. So that is the uh, difference between before and now. There's so many myths about North Korea, Sojin. So I'd quite like to go through some of these crazy tales and if you could tell us how realistic they are because I think Katie we're both quite obsessed with these aren't mm, we yeah. so the first one so Katie you've mentioned it the idea that when North, so North Korea have been to two football World Cups they went in 1966 and apparently charmed everyone in Middlesbrough because it was the World Cup that was hosted oh, yeah. in England um, and then they go in 2010 and they lose all three of their games in the group stage and they go out so is it true that back in North Korea that they were fated as heroes for winning the tournament so in 1966, in the Middlesbrough, indeed, you know, North Korea defeated Italian football team, right? And that was really something big. And they do not want to show its people the failure. So they uh, they sometimes um, lie uh, to the people. But these kind of things like uh, we are better, we are good kind of image, that is is uh, how the uh, government wants to show and deliver to its people. So they deliver the uh, scenes 
only partially, for example, resent uh, the riot in the uh, Capitol Hill in the States, you know. And they actually showed the image when these people going into the um, building and saying that, you know, there's no uh, rule of law in the States, uh, our enemy countries, and that we have the rule of law and we are the country which uh, works uh, uh, under the law, this kind of approach. So, yeah, that is just really about the, um, based on the situation and they really uh, uh, are good uh, the manipulating <laughs> the uh, facts and their uh, scenes like that. So could you have watched that World Cup in 2010 when North Korea qualified for the finals? Could you have watched those games in North Korea as a North Korean citizen? Mm, no, no. Because you don't know whether you will win or not. So normally they don't uh, yeah, play it uh, live. And only after, and they don't play the whole a whole game, and only when you uh, won, then they would do. <laughs> no, it's not easy for, for you to watch. Good news only. Yeah. Well, to, <laughs> good news only. Talking of good news in sport, there is a story, and I don't know if it's true, that there was an official communique, Katie, um, that came out about Kim Jong-il. He apparently only ever played golf once. Uh, never picked up a set of golf clubs before. He went to the course in Pyongyang and remarkably he scored a 38 under par round of 34, um, which is a world record by any which way you look at it. Yeah, Five holes in one. Not bad for a man who's just taken up golf. Naturally <laughs> gifted. I have to say that uh, if I were Kim Jong-un or Kim jo- any of the Kims, grandpa, dad, son... Um, I wouldn't mind if this kind of disinformation was flying around, like because that helps you, doesn't it? You know that you whole like a badass. yeah climate of fear. <laughs> like you don't know if you, you know, are enjoying a little bit of illicit K-pop, whether you might end up in a bath of uh, hot lard or nibbled at by piranha or perhaps atomized by an air-to-plane uh, missile. I mean, what a way to go, and it could happen, right? Yeah, that that, that is really uh, based on the situation. For example, when he killed his half-son, uh, North Korea has denied it, oh. and North Korea didn't feature it officially within North Korea. So that kind of uh, yes and no, and you know, based on which circumstances they need to use this kind of information against or towards people uh, is the way how we understand. And this is, is this the one where uh, the half-brother was murdered in the airport? He was poisoned? Yes. 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 By, by the yes. two young women who thought they were on a reality television show? <laughs> is, is that real? Because that's yeah. the story that they said, anyway. Yes. So, yeah, that, that time, because North Korea could not accept or uh, officially announce the, uh, this assassination because the chemical, you know, they used could have been developed into the chemical weapon. Then they could end up with a more serious situation for North Korean regime by international uh, community. So with that kind of reason, they um, denied the, the assassination at the beginning and that kind of story uh, would not be revealed within North Korean society. I want to get into how North Korea deals with defectors uh, because uh, probably not easy to get out of the country. And once somebody does leave the country, they're probably a marked man or woman. And there's actually a, a North Korean defector that you know living in the north of England. Can you tell me about her? 
So uh, Jiyeon Park, uh, she's in Manchester and actually she's running this uh, councillor uh, election uh, as a tourist in May. Uh, she defected uh, from North Korea and uh, ended up in the UK. Uh, I met her uh, for the first time uh, at BBC Manchester and it was quite interesting to see how we are just like same you know, uh, people, because we, we didn't have any difficulties to communicate. We shared a uh, similar culture and we shared a uh, uh, same language. But unfortunately for those defectors, they have no home to go back. If they want, they can go back, but they will be categorized as a betrayals. And then they will be end up uh, in this uh, prison camp with really slave-like, um, inhumane uh, situation. How hard is it to get out? Um, it's known that they have uh, these uh, brokers. Uh, so uh, you can pay them and they uh, bribe the uh, borderline uh, military uh, guards and they can uh, escape. And also because of this mobile uh, technology nowadays, um, after you defect, you can communicate with these brokers and then you can get in touch with your family members in North Korea. Then you can uh, find out the uh, another way, another route that uh, another family members could, cut, could come out. It's not easy at all. And you also need to have uh, money and you also need to have a luck. So, Jin, what will happen when... Kim Jong-un is finally gone. Will his sister take over? Will there be an entirely different dictator or will it be a chance for the country to open up? That really uh, uh, depends on when Kim Jong-un dies. If he dies uh, in the near future, his next successor couldn't be his sons or uh, daughters because they are still in their um, teen uh, ages uh, his oldest son is known as like 11 or 12 years old only because of the if he dies in the near future the next one in crown is known to be his uh, younger sister who is Kim Yo-jong but in North Korea when you become the leader you need to have three things number one the military as a general of the uh, uh, military structure number two the people which means by using propaganda Number three, the party, the head of the uh, People's Workers Party, which is the only political party in North Korea. But for Kim Yo-jong at the moment, she has the official uh, high status uh, and the propaganda office in North Korea. And she is the uh, party member and also have the position in the People's Workers Party. But she hasn't had any official position high at high level in the military. If Kim Jong-un really feels like he's dying soon, then we will be able to see the sign. If he wants to give his crown to Kim Yo-jong, his sister, then we will be able to see the announcement from the government to give her the position in the military structure. The other factor will be Kim Yo-jong being female. Because in, in North Korea, the, this Confucius culture is there and it's really a strong uh, mindset to have leader as a male character, not the female. Do you think there'll ever be one Korea? Oh, very difficult uh, question. Um, it really depends on how. I don't think both Koreas are 100% independent from surrounding powers. And because of that reason, it will be also really important to, to see how or whether US and China want to see the unification in peninsula. For China and US, 
Korea, especially North Korea, is a buffer zone geopolitically. And also economically, if the Korea becomes unified, then the economic power will be bigger than now. So because of all these reasons, I don't think either China nor U.S. want to see the unification. And even though both uh, countries want to uh, unified, uh, it will not be easy because it's not only... As you saw, you know, the division of Korea itself was not by Koreans and the unification will not by Koreans either, which is really sad uh, reality uh, as a South Korean. But that is also the cruel reality which we need to accept and admit. The most tangled of webs, Katie. That's what I'm hearing today. It's a real cliffhanger. And no wonder it's such a source of geopolitical tension, Korea, all over the world. I mean, when Donald Trump first came into office, President Obama, the outgoing president, said to him, that is the one thing that you're going to have to worry about. That is going to be the really dicey issue. And in fact, with these ongoing nuclear tests that are coming out of North Korea, it looks like that is the case. So, Jin... If somebody wants to learn more about North Korea, can you recommend something to read or to watch? We uh, nowadays have uh, very good access to the Korean films with English subtitles uh, from Netflix. For example, The Spy Gone to North, uh, which uh, BBC also uh, played uh, some time ago this year with English subtitles based on the real story in between South and North Korea. And also we call, uh, we have the very old film called JSA, the Joint um, Security uh, Area, which is within the DMZ Panmunjom. That is also another uh, film to see. So, Jin, thank you so much for joining us. Katie, my mind has been blown. Has yours um, also? I, I feel that uh, Sojin has been the perfect person to educate us on this and to inform in a very entertaining fashion. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Hejin. Lovely to meet you. Thank you very much. So that was Dr. Sojin Lim, and she entirely filled up my Korea empty holes in my head with information. And I have to say that I did think that Billy Joel was over-egging the pudding. I know what you mean. With, with his uh, multiple Korean mentions, North Korea, South Korea, and then eventually Panmunjom. Also, he does sing Man Rhee as well, who, oh, was, who was one of the leaders in, in South, South Korea, Korea for he a was, long time. He, yeah. so it's four. He's insatiable, Billy. I was a little skeptical, borderline irritated with the songwriter on that factor. But having seen and experienced how much there is to get into with North Korea, I'm I'm now feeling a little chastened. And I, I feel like Billy did know what he was doing. I think he always seems to, doesn't he, Katie? I found myself wondering while we were listening there, because uh, you always, the, the, the impulse is to put yourself in that situation, isn't it? And I found myself thinking, what would it be like for you and me in North Korea? And I can't see it being particularly prissy for either of us, knowing how we are, um, I think we would grate with the haircut thing quite early on. <laughs> I don't know. I think your current haircut is looking... Uh, <laughs> Am I going a bit North Korean? You're a little North Korean. I think you're a number 14. Okay. I think you're working at number 14. <laughs> you know what? I'm a little bit of a people pleaser uh, at heart. I mean, I'm a show poodle. I'm an entertainer. I'm a performer. And that means that I like to get approval. So I have a feeling that I might be a candidate for brainwashing. You could settle in. I think I would settle in. 
I think that, you know, I would find a good princess dye haircut out of the chart. I think it's a six. And um, <laughs> as long as I could wear, like, neck ruffles, pussycat bows, I mean, I think they are quite conventional. I like all of those looks. And then it's all about positivity, isn't it? Like yeah. pl- applauding dear leader. Just and- if you embraced it. I think I might I think I might get into it. You know, I would not like not enjoying my K-pop though. If that was banned, I'd have a hard time. So you could manage it, Katie, then, as long as you had maybe one of those tiny USBs, which is a little bit cheeky K-pop on it. It's a little cheeky K-pop, but you know what? I would have to secrete it within my kibbles and bits somewhere. Somewhere in the folds of my lady bits, there'd have to be some secret K-pop. And I don't know if eventually, you know, technology would be clogged by human effluvia. Yes. It might be a problem. The K-pop would be replaced by Katie Pop. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So um, we got that done and dusted, and we have next week, South Korea to look forward to. Which is handy because I was thinking this is going to be too much Korea. But now we've had one side of the story, Katie, and now we can get the other. We can get the other side of the story. And then, of course, 17 more Korean interludes to look forward to. And if you want to clear your palate in between, there's another podcast to listen to, which is Quiz Chat Repeat. That's the one, Katie, with... Makita Oliver hosted it. And I did it recently And begrudgingly, admittedly, I participated, but I have to say that she is so charming. I was against the whole idea (laughs) of quizzing, and I came around to it because she wore me down. So reluctantly, I enjoyed it. But I think for the listeners, totally exhilarating experience. So that is Quiz Chat Repeat. You can find that in all your usual podcast places. If you want a little bit more fire, you can follow us at Spread That Fire on Twitter and Instagram. Drop us an email if you like at fire at crowdnetwork.co.uk. Maybe leave us a cheeky review and let us know how the fire is warming you. Yeah. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam 
And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.